All right. Do you ever have a bucket list? Are you there in Romans chapter 8? A bucket list is something, man, before I die, I got to do this. Well, on my bucket list was the Skywalk. Have you ever heard of the Skywalk? It's outside of Vegas, a couple hours. Um, it's, look at this. It was made by some, uh, it was owned by some native Indians from that area. And it is uh, fantastic. This huge horseshoe thing that goes out over the Grand Canyon. It's almost a mile high. It's almost 5,000 feet till you drop. And the, the, the floor is made out of glass. And I saw that. I go, I got to do this. This is bucket list. So I talked my wife into going with me. And we we're already on the mainland. We had to get, you know, get to Vegas, get a hotel, get a car, pay 159 bucks for the two of us to go there, have lunch, and have a blast. So we go there, and uh, this on our summer vacation a couple months ago, we go there, and we're, you park a couple miles away, and then they put you on a bus and they take you there. So everybody on the bus is going straight to the Skywalk. Lunch is included, and it was really good. I go to Karen, let's eat lunch first. Let those people go on the Skywalk, and then we'll go out there when there's nobody there. So as we're eating lunch, and everybody else on the Skywalk, we're, you, it's up there, you can see it above the Skywalk is the restaurant. And you go, wow, look at that cloud coming in. That is a nasty looking cloud. And what happened, it began to hail in the Grand Canyon, which this is the first time in the history of the world it's ever hailed there, at least, you know, like marbles just pelting the ground, pelting just without mercy and so everyone runs off the skywalk and they closed it down they said you'll get a partial reimbursement but i'm going this is <laughs> we leave tomorrow it's not like we have a lot of opportunities here i'm so bummed but then you go why does that happen you ever go through that like lord what was that all about what in the world? I just lost a lot of money and time and effort and I'm disappointed. But then you go, is that all it takes to get me to drift away from the Lord? You ever been disappointed with the Lord? I thought it was this relationship. I thought it was this job. I thought it was that house, this location. And it turns out, what was that all about? To me, the bottom line is it happens. It's life. But I want to know, is that all it takes for me to drift? Because I was groaning. I'm still groaning. All right? Now, today in this world, there's a lot to groan about. You've got forest fires in, New in uh, California that they say cover hundreds of miles. People lost their homes. It was a once-in-a-500-year uh, hurricane, Ida, on the e in the east. People died. Then you've got... Afghanistan, whatever happened there. And you got the 13 guys that were killed by a suicide bomber. One of them has a cousin in this church. You go, it's not funny. And we groan, we groan. The whole vaccine versus non-vaccine. I mean, I'm still upset I have to wear a mask. I can groan about that. But in comparison to what's going on in this world, there's, there's a lot of groaning going on. So Romans 8, this section we're going to study right now, it has three different groanings, and each one has its own hope. How did we get this far? Okay, so last week we were talking about resurrection power. I thought a girl before church was texting, 
And I said, oh, that's how I do my notes. I put my notes on my phone. She goes, no, no, no. And she pulled out her notebook that had copious notes. I was extremely impressed. She goes, last week was on resurrection power. Here's my notes. I like that. So resurrection power. Notice it says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the death, the deeds of the flesh. Remember the girl goes, I murdered that centipede. <laughs> That's the idea. Don't play games. Put it to death. So the, the summary, we, we brought in the summary of Psalm 44. It's basically, Lord, we went out to battle. We had the sword, <laughs> but you gave the victory. Without you, we're toast. Without you, we'd be dead. We fought, but thanks to your spirit, we, put it to, we, we had victory over our, our enemies. Remember I talked about my words of discouragement? How when I was in Florida, uh, not walking with the Lord, I had this, we were into cutting down each other. And it's, it didn't even have to think about it. It was this knee-jerk reaction. It just came out and just did some damage. And I wish when I come to the Lord, it just was this magic one experience. I never, never discourage people. And it just always, no, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes he does that. It's not how it was for me. And so without thinking, I would discourage somebody. But now the Holy Spirit's at work. And I'd walk away and the Spirit of God would say, go back. Repent. What? Yeah, we're going to do this. So I'd go back and repent. But within five minutes, I did it again. And the Holy Spirit said, go back and repent again. Wait, again. Yeah, like 70 times 7. Keep going back. You know what? You get so sick of it that I finally go, Lord, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I can't do it with willpower and psych myself out in some mirror. I need your help. So Spirit, help me. And he does. Now, there's other stuff. You got anger issues. Remember, you go, how do I deal with these things? How, how can I put to death these things? Because it's like anger comes like a, a soda can. I don't see it too good. That's a girl opening up a Coke that was shook, and it just explodes in her face. See, when you got too much fizz going on, the world's shaking you up, and that overflow comes. That fizz comes out. So what God does says, let's just remove the fizz and replace with love, joy, and peace. I like that. So we ended on, do you know the value, right, of what you already possess in Christ? We talked about you've been adopted. This is, was that present perfect tense? And adoption back then, three main things. It was chosen. It took place on purpose. So you, as a, a husband and wife, would go in a place and go, um, there's all these babies. You go, you know what, that one. I, I, don't, I can't explain. I just have this affection. I want to commit the rest of my life to loving that, that little girl, that little boy. They're going to have a place at my table. They're mine. And that's how adoption worked. God says, you're chosen in Christ. All right? Then he says, it, that, that adopted child will have the full benefits of the entire family. So it's not like you're, oh, you're adopted by the Stangles and, no, the Stangle family is here. You adopted, you ain't out there. No, 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 no. Get a plate. You're with us. You're at the table for the rest of your life. I, I have a bed. I have clothes. I, I have food. This is amazing. Yeah, you've been adopted. And the neat thing is you could not be unadopted. So this is, a, again, a, the culture of that time when, and this is why Paul chose this illustration to, to say this is what you are in Christ. You've been adopted. 
you cannot be unadopted, meaning God committed himself, as the psalmist said, we're, we're a, a dust. He knows our frame, we're but dust. He knew exactly what he was getting into when he committed himself to you for all of eternity, and there's no turning back, okay? Then we talked about your joint heir with Christ. What in the world? I, I don't know how to explain that. I'm not sure what all we inherit. It just sounds really good. So if there's four in your family, your mom and dad died, the four of you share the inheritance, your co-inheritors. In this case, every believer joined with Christ is a co-inheritor of all that he inherits. It's just amazing. And then we said, don't, don't rob a bank for $6,000 using a $100,000 pistol. Remember that illustration? How crazy is that? Supposedly this really happened. A guy goes in, robs a bank. He gets busted. They, they recollect the $6,000. But they notice the pistol he used was an antique worth $100,000. Dude, sell the gun and you'll make a lot of money. But we don't know what we have in Christ. It's like, that's why he's telling us what we have in Christ and how we're adopted. And don't be like Judas. This is something I added the other day. Judas traded all he could have had in Christ for a measly 30 pieces of silver. You go, well, I would never do that. You don't have to. You know what people trade for today? Sex, relationships, position, power. They say, oh, you know what? I'll put Christ on the back burner because right now, baby, this is, my, this is my world. This is my life. Now, Romans chapter 17, it ended our last week with, if we indeed suffer with him, we'll also be glorified together. And I, I go, why, why, why did he have to put the word suffer in there? Why couldn't it be, and if we have love, joy, and peace with him, and everybody thinks we're cool, uh, then, then we'll, no, it's suffer. And that's where we pick it up today because Paul goes, it's not worthy to be compared. It's not worthy to be compared. My wife has this thing where I come home for lunch midweek. Yeah, I leave a block away from my office, get to bless my wife with my presence. So I go home, she goes, hey, so what's your sermon title? I said, well, I'm thinking of it's not worthy to be compared. But it might be for those who groan. She goes, oh, I like the one on groaning. I did too until yesterday. I go, that sounds like a terrible sermon. <laughs> what was I thinking for those who groan? But that's what it is because this is all about groaning. So when Paul's talking about it's not worthy to be compared, this is what he said. Paul the Apostle wrote in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't get discouraged. We, though, even though our outward man is perishing, and pretty much every time you look in the mirror, there's, there's proof it's perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. So you have to put a period there and ask yourself, were you renewed this morning? Did you receive his new mercies? Do you know what you have in Christ? Every day, a clean slate every day, fresh wisdom and spirit-filled and, and love, peace and joy. Do you have that? Has your inner man been renewed this morning? Because that's what he's talking about. Hey, the, other man, the old man is falling apart. The inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Notice I underlined our light affliction. If you know about Paul, you go, what light affliction? 
Dude, you were beaten with rods several times. You were whipped several times. You were shipwrecked. You were stoned to death. You had your head cut off. What light afflictions are you talking about? And he goes, you know, it's only for a moment. Even if you live to be 100 years, in the scope of eternity, it's nothing. Our light affliction, which is built, but for a moment, notice this, it's working for us. It's working for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So whatever you're going through right now, if you're where you're supposed to be in the Lord, it's working for you. It might be driving you to your knees. It might be making you crazy and get desperate. Or, God, I got I to gotta hear from you. It's working for you. Far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. And he ends it with this. For the things which are seen are temporary. What you see here is temporary. There's going to be a new earth someday. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So here's our outline this morning. Number one, creation groans in hope. Number two, we groan in hope. I love the third one. The Spirit inter interprets our groans. So I'm reading from the New King James Bible. And I have... Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time. Now, he's not pretending he's not going through it. He's not, oh, I have no trouble. No, you know, I, I consider the sufferings of the present time not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the groaning of the sons of God. I love that verb uh, phrase, eagerly waits. For the creation was sub subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Meaning, the grass grows, it dies. It grows, it dies. It's so futile. When is it going to be permanent? When is it going to be glorious? So, <clears throat> because the creation itself also be, will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So, point number one, creation groans. Point number one's fast, okay? God created the earth and he said it's good. It just didn't stay that way. Sin entered the picture and ruined everything. So in Genesis 3, this is the judge, Adam and Eve have fallen, God returns to the garden, he, he passes judgments, all right? And he goes to Adam, the ground is cursed. Notice, for your sake. You're going to be working, and it's going to be good for you. It's for your sake. The, the ground, so again, it, creation knows God has better plans ahead, and is subjected in hope, knowing someday the curse will be removed, and it will be, but not until Jesus Christ comes back. We're going to end on this la later. We're going to bring this up again. Verse 13, when it says, eagerly waits, that verb phrase is used seven times in the New Testament. Every time, it's a reference to the return of Christ. So our second point, beginning in verse 23. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope, but hope, that is seen is not hope. Why does one hope for what he seeks? 
But we hope for what we don't see. We eagerly wait for it. Notice this with perseverance. Here's a way to persevere, to make it under trials. So he said, here it is, we groan. Don't confuse this with complaining. Do you find it annoying when someone believes they have the gift of complaining? Like, it's so hot here. Oh, I didn't realize that. You know, we'll never make it. Whatever it is, just, it, it, it's like, and there's people today who think it's cool to complain. Like, just like, oh, that's, that's what they're there for. Complain, let's bring everyone down. But it says in Philippians 2, do all things without complaining. That's a revelation to some people. I don't get to complain. Not if you know God's in control. Not if you know God supersedes all of this stuff. Do all things without complaining and disputing. And then he says, you know what? When you do this, you will shine as lights in the world. This is how it works. You're going through the same situation someone else is going through, or maybe even worse. And instead of murmuring and complaining and bringing everybody down, you're positive. You might be singing a song, who knows? And they come up and go, what is with you? They might even go, what's wrong with you? Don't you know how bad it is? I know God's in control. I'm doing all things without murmuring. And it's in the darkness of the world that complains and you appear as a light. And he says, well, we groan because God's not done yet. Watch this. We live in this hammock, if you will, between what we are now and what the not yet. So the now versus the not yet. Here's where it is in Scripture. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. I've been adopted. I'm at the table. I belong in God's ohana. I don't get kicked out. Now I'm the child of God. But it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. So again, here's this hammock. I, I, I'm already there here. And there's this, uh, I'm not where I'm supposed to will, will end up. And this hammock existence in between is where faith comes in. That's where I go, hey, look, I'm God's child. I'm his responsibility. I mess up, but I get cleaned up. And I know he's in control. I know he has a plan. That's where that hammock comes in. So living between, no, not yet. <laughs> I love this part. In 1 Corinthians 4, Verse 5, the same Apostle Paul says, judge nothing before the time. You know, we're, we're in that hammock between now and not yet, and we're going, I don't like what God's doing, and we judge it. He says, don't do that. So, give you an example. Years ago, we were redoing our Sunday school rooms across the street. And in a couple of rooms, I said, oh, let's, uh, let's have somebody do some murals. You know, we have this great big wall, and... Let's do it, you know, kid style. And so uh, Pastor Al was on staff at that time, and, and I go, hey, Al, why don't you paint a wall? Oh, I'd love to paint a wall. Now, Al, he was a professional painter of houses, but not murals. But so he got a, one of those overhead projectors, and I, don't, I literally don't know if he got it out of a coloring book, but he got these things, these figures, and he projected it on the wall, and then he went up, I think with a pencil, and outlined it all the way across the wall. Then it became a paint by numbers. 
So he would outline that with paint and then paint in. Now, the thing is, I could go in there at any time. It took a while. So I could go in there that night he left, and I would walk in, and it's crystal clear. Oh, my goodness. This is going to be beautiful. I see exactly what he's doing. I see what he's already done. I see where it's going. Crystal clear. And then here's the finished product. He comes out. It's not super clear, but you got Adam and Eve in the garden behind leaves. You've got uh, Abraham uh, sacrificing Isaac. Then you've got Moses with the, the Ten Commandments. And you've got Jesus with the, you know, blessing the little kids. I went in there. Oh, I knew it. It was just so perfect. What a great way. Paint by numbers. I, I love it. But then the other room. So that was room 205. Room 203, I asked Patty Walden, who's more of a freelance artist. She doesn't do paint by numbers. That's for rookies. So she'd work and work and work, and she'd go home, and I'd go in the room to see how we're doing. I'm not, I, I have proof. I walked in, there's a hand up in this corner, there's a dolphin, and there's a rainbow. And I'm thinking, oh, I blew it. We're going to have to whitewash this whole thing. I have no idea what she's doing, where she's going. I don't see the vision. What in the world? And then I go back. Well, the next day, I'm even more confused. What's going on? Between the now and the not yet, it's where faith comes in. Patty finished. It's a beautiful. So as the hand was God coming down, blessing Noah. Noah builds the ark. The dolphin in the middle was the flood. And then you've got the rainbow on the other side where God keeps his promise. You go, oh, it's beautiful. What have I, done? I should have trusted you more. And just, the truth is, some of you right now are in a predicament where it's paint by numbers. And what God is doing is crystal clear. And it's easy to have faith. I see what he's doing. Where he's, it's beautiful. But some of us are going through the Patty Walden style. And God isn't doing the paint by numbers. And you're wondering, you're walking in, you want to judge before the time. I don't see where you're going with this, Lord. I don't think what's going on. I don't see how you'll be glorified. I don't see how I'm blessed. I don't get it. That's where Paul the Apostle said, judge nothing before time. God's not done. Give him time. So, in Ecclesiastes, this is not beautiful. I'm reading this in devotions. It says, he's made everything beautiful in its time. Give him time. Judge nothing before the time. There is a, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul goes, you know, we're in this tent. We grown. We grown. It's amazing how much people invest in this tent. It's, it, your body's a tent. It's not supposed to last forever. Some people are investing a ton in their tent now. I'm not the kind that says, let's just get it as ugly as possible. I'm not there. It says bodily exercise is good for a little bit. But it's a tent. It's going to wear out. It's meant to. And as it begins to wear out and at a rapid pace, we groan. We groan. We wonder when I'm going to have further clothes in the immortal body that God has for me. So there's a gal years ago who came to our church named Patricia. Some of you know, remember, some, this is a true story. 
Patricia came with her husband. They moved here, came to our church instantly. Perfect fit, perfect fit. Come to find out, Patricia was severely sexually abused growing up. I never knew the details, never wanted to. I, then on another note, not even connected to that, she had so much physical pain while she was here that I didn't understand. It, pain to the point where pain medication didn't do enough. She had to take pain management classes just to be able to smile. That's a class you never want to take. She was married, very godly man, sacrificing just what a servant he was for her. But I remember going up to her one day, Patricia, she's also known as Bella, and I said, I, uh, I'm making a commitment to you. I, I want to be a godly man in your life. My agenda, encourage and support. I want you to know not every man in this world is an animal. I've only done that two, three times maybe. And she would always remind me. So she did this Bible, women's Bible study in the mornings and every time when the Bible study would end, whatever season it was, she'd invite me to come and pray for the girls, lay hands on them, if the, word, if the Lord gave a word to just share it. It was really cool. One day there was one of the groups, there's this girl named Noelle Wagner. She was from Florida. She's just here for a little bit. She's going to Australia to surf. Great. Went to pray for her and the Lord gave me a prophecy. You're not supposed to go to Australia. You're supposed to stay here and do what? I don't know. That's all I got. She stayed. And then this gym, we used to play a lot of volleyball at night. And there's this guy named Jason who played. Jason ended up marrying Noel, whose name became Simpson. They now have four kids and they're on the mission field full time. It was just one of the ways the Lord was using it. But when I'd go there, Patricia would remind me, you, you made a commitment to, you're going to be a godly man in my life. I, I forgot. How am I doing? And so we'd ask, uh, she'd come to a Bible study, she'd come to church. I remember my wife would ask her, hey, how's your, what's your pain level today? And she'd say eight out of 10. Her eight is my 98. I'd be screaming in pain. She's there. So I was wait, an eight out of 10? And you're in church? You're at a Bible study? Like, There's nowhere else I'd rather be. I just want to be with God's people. I just want to worship God. Well, we became close. My wife and I went to visit because they moved to the mainland, tried advanced treatment. She had some radical cancer. Went to visit them a couple of times. And now she's in heaven. It's been there for years. God makes all things beautiful in his time. She's healed. <laughs> she's part of the heavenly choir. Here's my question. I go, okay, God, what was that all about? Did you ever do that? You go, what, what was that all about? One life, I lived it in pain. It was abuse. I just, you know, uh, pain management, what, what was that all about? I think it was to, to encourage people like me. 
Do you know that she reached doctors? I'll never reach. She reached nurses? I'll never reach. She spoke into their lives because she saw God was in control. She didn't want to judge anything before its time. And God made everything beautiful in his time. Last part. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Sorry. And even as, uh, oh, no wonder it turned to me. I thought that's not Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we should pray. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Truthfully, this could be us groaning, the Holy Spirit groaning. Most interpret that we groan and he interprets. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the hope is, I'm, I've been groaning, but it's according to God's will. So. I have a weakness, you have a weakness. We don't always know how to, we're supposed to pray. As a situation comes, a guy comes and he, he needs money. Okay, Lord, do I um, give him the money? Do I have grace in his life? Or do I hold back the money? Because he's been terrible with his finances. He needs to grow up. He needs to wake up. So I'm proud. God, I... I, I <laughs> One guy came, hey, I need $10. Can I, oh, oh he's a friend. He's, oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, turns out I took that and bought heroin. I didn't know it at the time. I was just, so I don't always know how I'm supposed to pray. Lord, is this to bless this person or I'm just getting in your way and, and making it worse? So here it goes. He who searches the hearts knows. You ever think of that? God's searching your heart this morning? One, one writer said this, he who searches the hearts, it's a title both charming and chilling depending on where your heart is. It's charming when God says, oh my God, I see your heart. I, I see the weakness. I, I see the inconsistency. I see your desire to grow, your desire to press on. Or I could say, Mike, I see your heart. You've been drifting. You're playing a game. You're fooling a lot of people. You're not fooling me. See how it works? It's either charming or chilling, depending on where, where my heart is. So here's what Jude says. Jude only has one chapter. So in verse 20, he says this. He's warning people about straying and getting into bad doctrine. He says, building yourself up on your most holy faith. Notice this. Praying in the Holy Spirit, kind of like what we're talking about in Romans 8. Keep yourself in the love of God. Now, wait, what does that mean? I thought God loves me. Here's the good news. If you don't hear anything else, God is always in his first love for you. You know, we're supposed oh, repent, remember where you went, get back to your first love. That's for us, because we drift. God doesn't drift. God is this moment. We've even sang about this. Never been loved more. I can't be loved more. He's always in his first love for you. So what does it mean I'm supposed to pray in the Holy Spirit to keep myself in God's love? Well, if I stray, like it says in Hebrews, we're studying the Hebrews in our Ohana groups, it forces God 
to discipline me, you know, to prove that I'm his kid. So to keep myself in God's love is keep, keep myself in a, in a place where he doesn't have to discipline me. He's just free to bless openly. Keep yourself there and do it praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, there's three ways that happens. First is spirit-led prayer. You've probably done this where there's times I run out of, I don't know. My best time of prayer is at our group prayer here on the once a month or our weekly prayer meeting. It, it helps me to have others around to just kind of stir things up, keep me focused. But there's times I go, Lord, what am I supposed to pray for? I want spirit-led prayer. Well, there was a time when I was single, he said, I want you to be praying for your future wife. That sounds good. I had a list, okay. It wouldn't hurt if she's pretty. You know, these things, may she, whatever she's going through right now, may you have your hand upon her. May you be building her up in her most holy faith, drawing her closer and closer to your heart. And please don't give me a rookie cook. That really was the prayer. Sorry, it was, it was necessary. Did that for a year and a half. I married Karen, and I go, you know, I've been praying for you for a year and a half. She broke down crying. She said, the last year and a half of my life has been the hardest ever. She went through a divorce where her first husband abandoned her, just got up and moved to a different town. She was engaged to be married, and on the wedding day, the guy said, no, I'm not supposed to do this. So she was divorced, she was jilted on the wedding day. And when she found out I'd been praying for her that whole time, <laughs> it was really good. It was really good. Spirit-led prayer, Lord, who am I supposed to pray for? How about tongues? NRK inhos logos, that's not tongues. That's Greek. NRK, in the beginning. Inhos logos, you know that, the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Kai theos inhos logos. And Kai means and. Theos was the word. Very strong, pointing to Jesus Christ as God. But it's interesting. It's a language. And a language is a disagreement. If I say this word, it means this. And we agree that that's what it means. So, in our inhos logos, when it says Kai theos inhos logos, Kai means in, in Greek, and, A-N-D. In Hawaiian, Kai means ocean. Whole different meaning. But it's because we've agreed, okay, these terms mean this, it expresses this, and we agree to that. Here's the problem. There are times my heart is going through something. There's no words. There's no words. Or the words, sometimes, I love you, Lord, sounds so shallow. <laughs> you know, come on, cliche. And that's when God has provided this other language called tongues, where you can read about it in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. And it's this language that I get to express what's on my heart. I can bypass this, I don't know what all this means, but I know you've given me this as a release to you. Problem is, some of you are freaked out right now that I'm talking about tongues. Yeah, it's very scriptural. It's not for everybody, but it's there. 
Paul the Apostle, sometimes I feel like he goes to the Corinthian church who are all trying to out-tongue each other. He says, I praise God. I speak more in tongues than all of you. I do. I speak in tongues. All It's the only gift of the Spirit that builds me up. All the other gifts are to build up other people. But it's there. It's there if you want. Let's pray. But here's the third one. What we're talking about right now. Groans. Groans. Where is... And the question, have you ever groaned in the spirit? It's like, listen, if you've ever had a teenager, you know exactly what I'm saying. Boy, that didn't go over good. Bunch of teenagers in here. If you had two teenagers, it's Lord have mercy. That was Karen's mom's prayer all the time. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Groan is, I, I don't plan a groan. I don't tell my wife, I'm going to go groan for a while. Groan in the spirit. I don't do that. But I do it. I groan. And it's because you go and you get in a situation where I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm hurting. I'm grieving. That's a groan. A sigh. And the beauty of this verse says God will take that the Spirit will take that and interpret your heart to the Savior. You've probably done it, just didn't know it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we groan because we know God's not done yet. We live between the now and the not yet. Remember the eagerly waits, that verb phrase? It's used seven times in the New Testament. It always refers to return of Jesus Christ. How well-versed are you in that? How, if someone said, give me the end-time scenario, what would you say? Because that's where we're living. That's where we're living. I love it when it's September already, and now all the stores have the Christmas decorations, right? And so I go in there with my wife, see the Christmas decorations, say, ha, ha, praise the Lord, it's almost Thanksgiving. What are you talking about? These are Christmas decorations. Yes, but Thanksgiving comes first. All the signs are for the re return of Christ in chapter 19 of Revelation at the end of the seven-year Great Tribulation. The rapture happens first. We're out of here before all that bedlam happens. So how, are you familiar with, oh, men's hearts will fail them They'll have heart attacks because of what's coming on the world. You know, the, the earthquakes, the pestilences, the signs and wonders, the uh, one world government, the, the Antichrist, the, how there's a scene that's being set where the world is being prepared for this. The world will be crying out peace and safety, peace and safety. That's what we have today. The signs are all pointing to the return of Christ. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. Your redemption draws near. Meaning, the rapture, when the church is removed from this earth, it's soon. Are you living in that kind of expectation? Look at this. Yesterday, I was asked to visit a sister who's now on hospice care. I'd met this gal years ago doing a wedding. 
She is the sister of the one getting married. When you're on hospice care, you only have a week or two, right? They're thinking she has got a week. And say, hey, can you pray? Can you come out and pray? You know, you go, what about COVID? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Somebody's on the brink of eternity. I'm gone. I'm not being foolish or foolhardy. I, I'll be protected, but come on. It's not a time to fear. And so I, I went with her. She woke up. I was so stoked that some of you had already been there to support. So I went in the room with her sister. She's on the support. And I just said, uh, Kim, are you ready to enter into eternity? Started by going, look, you're going to cross over into eternity. It's not a joke. I mean, she knows that. You're going to cross over. So I asked, are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Because you're going to meet him really, really soon. And she very gently shook her head, yes. And then we prayed. Here's the deal. She has an advantage over you and me. Because she knows. <laughs> I can't play games. This might be my last breath. I need to get right with God if I'm not. She knows that. She has an advantage over most of us because we tend to put things off. The Bible even says, today is the day of salvation. It never says, hey, just put this off for a while. Go play. Go get a crusty heart. No, 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 no. Today is the day. You see, the, 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 the reality is you could die before she does. You could choke on your, your dinner tonight and keel over. You could go get in a car wreck on the way home. You, you, any one of us could die today. But she knows it. She's getting serious with God. How about you? For the groaners here today, and we'll close with this that the worship band would come. You're going to be tempted to say, what in the world's God to judge nothing before its time? The hammock between the now and the not yet. I love this verse in Ecclesiastes 3, 11. God has made everything beautiful in his time. Notice the second part. And he's put eternity in their hearts. There's a part of you, and that's why you're here, God has put eternity in your heart. It's like something you can't shake. It's like your friends might kid around about life and death and they just, uh, live hard, die young, whatever. But you're the type of go, ah, that's not for me. God's put something, I know. This body is not last forever. This soul, it's not like my body has a soul. My soul has a body. And it's going to live eternally in one of two places. This gal's ready. I ask you the same thing. Are you ready to cross over into eternity? Billy Graham once said, no man is prepared to live until he's first prepared to die. Are you ready to cross over? Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ? Or do you need to do some business before that? Do you need to say, Lord, I need to get right with you right now.